I'm a doctor, a father, an American, an Indian. I've had conversations about life from every angle, and as I've navigated the South Asian experience, I share stories of people and their purpose, and what they're saying over and over again is, trust me, I know what I'm doing. I'm Abhay Dandekar, and on this episode of Trust Me, I Know What I'm Doing, I'm joined by the founder and CEO of QMath, teacher and math educator, Manan Kurma. Stay tuned. So I truly love math, and particularly I'm a sucker for anything involving algebra. Mathematics can unlock so many of life's secrets in the natural, artistic, and digital worlds. But this love was a product of my own discovery and the joy of problem solving, definitely not from the rote, mundane, busy work and memorization that plagues so many educational pathways. Speaking of rote, mundane, busy work, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast, to tell a friend, and to follow us on social media at mygoodfriend. Okay, so how can this systematic method of math learning that likely creates so much anxiety and fear be disrupted and reconstructed successfully? Enter Manan Kurma, the founder and CEO of QMath, someone who succeeded in this system of rote learning and memorization to an engineering degree from IIT in Delhi. He then became a math educator teaching thousands of high school students, but quickly realized that the true way to develop a foundationally sound approach to learning and using math as a life skill was to reframe it through direct one-on-one teaching, reasoning, and rich visual practical examples. He founded QMath in 2013 as an online math learning platform, and its footprint and reach have expanded from India to a global market that includes North America. We caught up recently and chatted about the collective journey, about lessons learned, and about how the pandemic has affected it all. So, you know, Abhay, it's been a very interesting uh, phase in the company's journey. Um, COVID has actually given us huge tailwinds in terms of growth, and we have seen massive demand coming in from all over the world. Just the whole consumer behavior around online learning has undergone a tectonic shift, uh, you know, almost literally overnight. And something that would otherwise have taken maybe a decade or so to happen happen in the course of just a few months. So as of today, even parents of very young kids, uh, you know, have started accepting the fact that okay, online learning is possible. Online learning is is effective. Um, India is our home market, but we have a strong upcoming presence in the U.S. in the North American market. Uh, but dozens of other countries as well. So it's been a very exciting uh, journey from that point of view. Although obviously uh, the impact of COVID on the macro situation, also on the entire you know way we work and we operate, it's changed a lot of things. So it's it's been a very very mixed phase. You know, very mixed feelings about it. Yeah. You know, everything online all the time speaks to a lot of possible increased efficiency. But is there is there some added value to pause and reflect, particularly for learners, you know, having the fatigue of, of online learning uh, has been, I'm sure, consuming for so many where they're missing some of that in-person interaction. And even for the teams that are trying to curate this at mm-hmm. an accelerated pace, is, has there been some value to possibly uh, slowing down, if you will, even though the, the magnitude and the growth of QMath has been so tre- tremendous? Yeah, so I would like to draw out a distinction between self-based online learning and live online learning. And live online learning is what we do where there's a teacher present uh, with you in the live class who's monitoring each and every step that you're doing as a learner. 
Uh, and that's essentially what we do in QMath. At least those that format of classes is very effective. Uh, is what we feel because the teachers constantly interacting with you, chatting with you, constantly making sure that you're moving forward and you're not getting stuck. So even if you hit some roadblock, you know, even if you get fatigued or something, the teacher is there to kind of encourage you and uh, help you move forward, right? So, so in that sense, we have not really seen uh, a huge difference between the online format and the offline format. If anything, the online format allows for uh, a greater degree of personalization of the curriculum and content. You know, because systems can be built to be adaptive. Uh, the the system can track data points of each and every step that the student is making. Uh, but that said, obviously, um, you know, offline classes do have that element of in-person interaction. You know, which which many kids do find very engaging. So so I I would say it's a balance. I personally believe you know having spoken to hundreds of parents over the last uh, couple of years. Ultimately, you will see a mix playing out. Uh, it won't be just online. It won't obviously. It won't be just offline because you know the acceptance of online has gone up. I think it will be an omni-channel approach. It will be a mix, uh, which I think is what would bring out the best in the learner. Have you also seen this kind of play out uh, for you personally, where that that hybridization has has really come to life, both in the professional space, but also the personal space. You you can't rely on only online interactions. Ultimately, uh, I mean, when I look at how our team ex- has expanded over the uh, during the COVID phase, right? So we went from two hundred person team pre COVID to now about eight hundred people in the team. So the team has expanded uh, more than four times, and most of the new most of the new joinees in the team uh, I have never met personally, and uh, you know, and I've interacted. Even some of them whom I'm working with very closely, I've I've just met them online and I've just been interacting with them online. Uh, I I so I do find that once you met, uh, you know, uh, once you met someone offline, then sustaining online interactions uh, that's far easier versus if you if you just meet completely online. So I do think that hybridization approach, you know, where there's some interaction offline and then you know there's some online and you you find that right mix. I think that's very effective from all points of view. It's probably a test of leadership as well, right? I mean, how do you now lead a team that you've either never met or um, haven't even had the the initial touch point of an in person conversation? Um, I'm I'm imagining that 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 level of growth has has been uh, quite a challenge. Absolutely, uh, and you know, um, in in the offline world, when you're meeting, uh, you know, when you're running into folks uh, in in your physical spaces and in your offices, interactions are. Almost, you know, natural. Uh, they they just happen. They keep happening through the day. But in the online world, you have to engineer them. You have to make sh- make sure that you are, you know, putting them on the calendar and you're you're constructing protocols and, uh, you know, formats of meetings where this kind of cross functional interaction is possible. You know, in the online format. So yeah, I mean, running a large com- in a completely virtual environment uh, is not uh, as straightforward as it it would seem. But I I do still feel that there is some some upside to the online uh, format of running things because from a time point of view it's very efficient. So it's a it's a it's a good mix. The offline um, interaction allows for a different kind of relationship building, and the online format may may be more functionally efficient. But you know, um, I'm curious about one thing: that idea of developing culture and having at least the prospect of those conversations that you have in the hallway or even being able to problem solve uh, with colleagues or with your coworkers, you kind of have to manufacture that culture, that connectivity now. Yeah. Do you think um, for learners, especially young learners who are naive to mathematics and 
other subjects, you know, that that physical nature of discussion and learning, particularly with peers and with a cohort, is that something mm -hmm. also that that seemingly has to be manufactured or cultivated for them? You know, we do have other class formats where kids interact with other kids, you know, so we have quizzes, we have workshops and so on uh, as part of the key math curriculum. And that that allows for a different kind of learning, uh, you know, where, you know, you could call it peer to peer learning, you could I mean, it helps children meet other children and also benchmark their ideas, benchmark, uh, you know, and understand right. how, okay, relative to others, how they are doing and so on. If, if, if you can find that right mix between, you know, personalized, individualized instruction with the teacher, but also interaction with other children of your cohort, you know, that balance is very effective. In, in your mind's eye, for, for someone who's never been introduced to QMath um, before, uh, what's the sort of quick description of what QMath is and and what you offer. So QMath is a math learning company and we think of math as a life skill, not just as a subject to be done in school. We think of math as a as a way of, you know, as a way of thinking. And we believe that math is one of the most critical skills, if not the most critical skill, you know, that a child requires today. Just just because of the the fact that the most valuable skills going forward will all have math at the core. Uh, so we treat math, we give math its due importance in that sense. Uh, we have a very visual approach to learning math. And the way we make kids do math is we have a live class platform where our teachers uh, use the QMath curriculum to run these math classes. So we have a network of more than 10,000 teachers, uh, highly trained expert tutors, uh, you know, who are kind of grounded in the QMath methodology. And these are the teachers basically teaching math to kids across the world. From a student's point of view, from a learner's point of view, we do math. Uh, for all grades from kindergarten to grade 12. So that's 13 years of school. And uh, we go far beyond the school math, uh, you know, that kids do in school. We also cover a lot of practical applications of math. You know, for example, the math of COVID-19, you know, why why there's exponential growth and, um, you know, how why, mask, why wearing masks or vaccination kind of, you know, brings down your R0 factor and uh, basically slows down the spread and so on. So even very young QMath kids can, uh, answer some of some of this stuff. So we try to bring out that the fact that math underlies everything around you. And from a learner's point of view, you know, they have to do about eight classes with a teacher in a month. Each class is one hour long. I love the fact that you're you're creating hopefully an army of public health officials too, which is which is <laughs> terrific. Um, yeah. You know, you know, the idea of QMath being born through this reframing of the value and of math as a life skill, uh, critical reasoning and, and those foundational principles. How do you think this has changed the life of the learners or your students in other non-math subject areas? What kind of sort of spread effect has it had? Most students across the world, you know, including uh, all of us, you know, adults today, we, when we were taught math in our classes, we were taught with a heavy emphasis on the facts, the formulas, the theorems, you know, which is what we, we this is what we call the what, you know, the, right. the facts, basically. Uh, but we were never taught the reasoning behind it, you know, the why behind it. So, so at QMath, that is our that is our effort, that is our approach. How do we get kids to learn and appreciate, and ultimately construct the why on their own? Well, and I've seen that transformation pan out for so many of my students. You know, it's very gratifying. You know, when you see a student who was struggling earlier, but you know, then once they started learning the right way, and suddenly they be became this efficient learner who could progress at a far faster rate, and ultimately ended ended up doing very very good things yeah well and, and have you had the feedback that it has translated to other uh subjects other areas of their lives absolutely 
absolutely so in a, in a, in a funny way but also you know something that i uh, that i understand why it would be so it translates to real world confidence uh, you know just because of the way you just because see the i mean you are interfacing with the world is uh, you know through the way you think and if the way you think is more efficient you know if you can approach a problem if you can approach a situation more effi- efficiently and more mathematically you know so to say and you can kind of deconstruct it properly and you can figure out the right solution um mm-hmm. i think it just uh, not only does it kind of help you academically but it just helps you in terms of uh, sure you know living more efficiently you know definitely you know you make better decisions on a day to day basis you if you if you're stuck with a situation you're able to narrow down on okay you know what could solve the problem here you know you can figure out for example hidden patterns you can figure out okay pareto was okay you know this 20% will lead to you know the right. 80% of the outcome and so on it's that's great. It, your mental models change when you learn math the right way that's really the secret right i mean changing the mental models i mean for your pathway to doing this as a teacher and a founder um of qmath in a system that was probably not designed to learn this way for many mm-hmm. of us as you mentioned as adult learners that we we did learn by that you know with much more emphasis on the what as as opposed to mm-hmm. the why um mm-hmm. w- what was it like to sort of deconstruct this and and in in converse to that was was there actually any value to that method of learning that mm-hmm. that in some ways allowed you to to develop this you know by the time you reach senior grades by the time you reach grades 11 12 you know grades 9 10 11 12 if you've not learned the right way uh if you've not built a strong solid foundation it's very hard for a teacher to kind of have that impact on you at that stage so i'm actually kind of describing why i started qmath you know so i ultimately realized after working with all these students that it's very hard for a teacher to have impact on a student once they've built their foundation in a certain way uh and real impact on learning can happen only at a very young age you know when foundation building is really happening even a fourth grader would struggle to tell you that 7 times 3 is 3 times 7 is equal to 3 times 7 you know, they don't understand the commutativity of multiplication you know in a in a visual manner they they memorize tables they they, they say okay 3 times 7 is 21 3 times 8 is 24 and so on and so forth uh, but qmath kids will learn multiplication as repeated addition so they can construct tables on their own so so i think i think the idea here the the qmath kind of philosophy is that if you get kids to pick up math concepts the right way from a young age this this compounding that happens and, and math is like a lattice right so calculus in grade 11 is ba- built on functions in grade 10 is built on you know algebra in grade 8 and so on and so all the all the way back to uh, your earlier grades right you know for you personally was this a deconstruction that you had to in some ways unwind and in some ways unprogram yourself and 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 the years of going through that system to uh, you know embrace absolutely. that absolutely Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. When the I still remember vividly the first math class I took at QMath uh with with very young kids, you know, because before that I was teaching senior graders and then um I had this class where you know very young kids walked in, you know, third graders, fourth graders and so on. And uh, after a few minutes I was absolutely lost. I had no idea what to do with these kids because you know, they were at a completely different orbit and uh, you know uh, they they had a completely different style of thinking and so on as i was trying to do something with them that that was not only ineffective it would never have gotten through to them yeah. so i ultimately had to spend like hundreds of hours of my own time with students uh, of of this age band realizing how they learn math in their classes and so on 
and then ultimately going down to that level and saying okay you know how do we do this in a better way you know unwinding years of uh, heuristics and years of you know things that you take for granted and saying okay how do you get a kid to look at it for the first time in the right way yeah uh, but yeah it was a very exciting journey i i still remember those first couple of years very you know with a lot of fondness you know as i was yeah. building the first version of the kimat curriculum was there an element of this deconstruction and unprogramming particularly for parents and teachers uh, at the same time was did you i mean i imagine three different tracks that you had to really kind of construct where you're finding a, a new method for students but then at the same time really really deconstructing this and and unwinding and unraveling that culture yeah. so to speak from parents and teachers yeah absolutely um you know so when i created the first version of the qmath curriculum and uh, as i said the first version i tested out myself and after a few months when i had enough confidence you know that uh, you know that that the curriculum works that's when we started expanding and we started getting you know uh, teachers onto the platform and we started getting you know, more parents and students onto the platform but the as you said right the first phase of the journey was really hard um because it was hard to convince uh you know teacher prospective teachers and prospective parents about what we are really trying to do mm. uh you know so so when when someone would ask me okay you know what is this program about is it what better marks in school better scores at school uh, in school math uh, so i would tell him no no you know it's not that uh, it's it's about learning math in a different way learning math is a life skill and better marks in school better scores in school will be an easy outcome of that you know uh, mm. but that is not what we are chasing uh but then you know parents should say okay then what is the value uh <laughs> you know yeah. uh, i want my kids to i want my kid to you know score a score in a on the next test and sure. so on so i would always be trying to convince them okay you know that a on a school test scoring in a on a school test is a very low bar it's, it's very very easy uh, what far harder to do is getting your kid to learn math the right way at this stage so that ultimately when they reach senior grades and ultimately you know uh, choose a career and so on they have that strong foundation in mathematical thinking uh, you know that will help them kind of excel in their career right or whatever they choose to do so for a parent to make that connection uh, from their kids math learning today to ultimately their career success uh, was a very hard thing to do and uh, you know it took me years and years of effort you know evangelizing you know talking to teachers directly talking to parents directly to kind of get them to understand okay what we are really trying to do But I think now we have reached a stage where there's there's a widespread acceptance of of the fact that the QMath curriculum is very powerful. You know, we we've, yeah. we've been accredited by many players. We we've, we've won multiple awards for the curriculum and right. so on. You know, I would I would go, I would say things like, okay, you know, math should be a fundamental right, and you know, parents would look at me and say, okay, this guy's going crazy. What are you talking crazy, about, you know? right? <laughs> yeah. Well, so, I wonder if that speaks also to the amount of of how. institutionalized some of these cultural norms are and is that really the next phase of this which is sure qmath grows in its success um but the idea that uh, not only it's an, an evangelization process that you go through but the institutional disruption that um it hopefully will create will will make this more hopefully of the norm yeah so absolutely i think that uh Uh, you know legacy systems uh, that have been running for decades or centuries now uh, will go will undergo disruption uh, you know over a very short period of time uh, and we've all we are already we are already seeing that happening right so the for example the importance given to formal four year degrees of college right that's going down over time and mm -hmm. uh, more and more companies are now valuing skills over degrees um, you know and and that is something that 
you know that that trend will only accelerate so even for primary learning even for something as you know foundational as math learning um i i strongly believe that you know kids uh learners who end up building those foundational skills at a uh, in in their in their schooling years uh, and those foundational skills would be math uh, it would be programming you know computer science uh, coding and it would be maybe your communication ability so it's the, maybe the strike off skills um mm. if any learner has these three skills you know strongly kind of built out then they'll be unstoppable uh, yeah. regardless of which college they go to right so I, i don't think the whole journey of you know 13 years of school then 4 years of college and then you kind of pick up a job i think those those boundaries will kind of soften over time and yeah uh, you will see more and more of you know like uh, people starting to work early or people not taking this formal route and you know Uh, yeah. taking a much more kind of you know personalized approach uh, to how they build out their careers and so on in, in lots of versions of education but particularly uh in one that's close to my family's heart and that's karate uh yeah <laughs> you know the the idea is we move towards outcomes and we move yeah. towards advancement based upon those outcomes in in my son's uh karate dojo you know he can't advance to the next level without at least demonstrating like, that he is skill and competence and and it's the same way that's mm-hmm. how do you grapple mm-hmm. with learners who have a love for the subject they they're they're really developing their skills in the right way as you say and thriving with that reasonable reasoning model but they advance at an unexpected pace at a different pace at a slower pace and they maybe take more time and on the one hand that's yeah. certainly richly personal on the other hand you know it's it's not the norm it, and it certainly um, yeah. doesn't have to be but there's a cost to it how how do you deal with that so i uh, as a as a kid i was a taekwondo player i kind of uh, went through multiple belts you know in the in the system and so on and i think one of the lessons i took from there is this whole focus on mastery as we call it you know uh, so we, we also take that mastery based approach in the kimath curriculum yeah. and the idea is that for example for a fourth grader you know if i mean most kids will learn fractions and decimals in an unconnected way but in our curriculum you know they they'll kind of do it in a very connected way and the kid won't move from fractions to decimals unless they have mastered fractions first and we yeah. uh, you know so and that's that's something that we kind of set expectations with uh, with the parent as well as with the teacher that you know we make we take the kid forward you know only when they have kind of uh, built the foundation for the next step right but you know your question around the different pace of learning i think it's very interesting and we have a very interesting philosophy around it uh, you know and and let me kind of try to articulate it so one question that i often ask uh, you know new product joinees or new curriculum joinees on the qmath team is uh, why is mount everest so hard to climb and almost invariably the answer i get is you know okay the summit is too high um you know there's lack of oxygen around the summit and so on then i kind of share my answer to the question and i tell them okay mount everest is hard to climb not because the summit is high but because the climb itself is too technical it's too challenging it's too abrupt you know there there ice falls and so on and so forth right where you know the Uh, climbers are at risk and so on but imagine instead that you had a gradual ramp you know starting from the base camp spiraling around the mountain going all the way up to the top you know very very gradual ramp right if such a hypothetical everest ramp existed then potentially every any person on the planet could walk to the summit so that's the philosophy we take to learning that every learner can walk to the summit it's about the ramp that you build i think the government of nepal is not looking forward to to this idea <laughs> <laughs> yeah for some kids the ramp will be will need to be you know very gradual 
but if the ramp is gradual enough then any learner no matter where they are today no matter how struggling they are today they can walk to the summit i absolutely love that example i mean that that's really such a vivid way to to look at it you know you mentioned that this has been a a long journey and and one that's had a lot of fruits of success um yeah. but even in that deconstruction how, how has uh looking at mathematics differently or even looking at it as as a teacher differently how has it changed you as a personally as a communicator i mean i'll answer this question both as an individual and as a teacher right i think as a teacher there's been this appreciation that if there are a billion learners across the world then there are a billion different ways of learning uh, you know because every every kid is unique um and this whole approach you know the traditional approach of kind of um you know clubbing students in the same cohorts and you know class sizes of 30 40 and the teacher kind of teaching the same thing to all these kids i think i have seen it over and over now that it is ineffective the traditional format of classes does not work you have to evolve a format of learning where the the learning path the learning journey journey is completely customized uh, you know to what the where the learner is at that point and what their engagement level with the material is right so if if a student for example likes baseball and another student likes cricket then the first student should get math problems in the context of baseball and the second one should get math problems in the context of cricket right uh, and if you can achieve that level of personalization you know math will be math will be joyful i've never seen a student who's not liked math when presented with material in this manner yeah uh, on a personal front obviously uh, my love for math has you know grown even more over time uh, you know my friends and uh, family joke about this but even today my way of de-stressing is to solve math problems and math puzzles uh, so yeah. i i mean i have a martin gardner book on my desk right now you know martin gardner is this uh, columnist who you know does like very interesting puzzles Yeah. so i'll just go through them and you know just try to solve some of that stuff so uh, yeah so i think for me it's been exciting in the sense that my passion my individual passion has combined with my profession to uh, you know create this uh, create this company so that's been a very exciting journey because of this ability to communicate so effectively and solve problems do you think that it's uh, improved or for that matter changed the way you empathize with people absolutely um you know and part of it has been just the fact that you deal with such a wide variety of people uh, you know as you as you do something like this personally i've met with i've taught more than 10000 students you know as you, as i mentioned earlier and i have interacted directly with thousands of parents uh, and we are more than 10000 teachers on the qmath platform now running the whole qmath team which has grown uh, so much over time you know when you when you have interactions of this volume around a, around a specific thing your knowledge and your kind of understanding of the nuance of each thing uh, i think it just compounds over time it also builds a lot of empathy as you said now i'm of this strong school of thought that no matter what happens you can't blame the learner uh, you know if if a learner is struggling or not doing well no matter what happens uh, there is absolutely no scenario where you can blame the learner it i mean something around the learner failed whether it was environment whether it was schooling system you know and they did not get the right support or so on but the learner is never at fault right and that is an axiom that we kind of take in our uh, in our uh, design thinking you know qmath is growing uh, so rapidly and has now a global footprint you know it, it's uh, undoubtedly a lot of uh, rough edges involved and a lot of chaos uh, before it becomes smoothed smoothed out and clean and oftentimes we don't immediately have the right answer um which is not uh, gratifying as a mathematics 
uh, problem solver. Mm -hmm. But tell me one thing, I mean, how throughout this whole journey and as you go forward, how have you been able to cultivate trust? Yeah, it's very interesting that you ask this, right? Um, I think, again, partly, you know, partly it's that whole entrepreneur DNA. You know, anyone who's running a company, who's starting up, uh, they need to have some streak, some element of that irrational optimism saying, okay, you know, we'll jump off a cliff, but we'll build a plane on the way down and, you know, we'll, we'll survive this. So partly it's that. For me personally, it's also partly driven by my math experience, you know. So there have been, you know, instances of, you know, problems that I've solved that took many weeks, you know, to get to kind of break through, you know, so you kind of approach the problem from many different angles, but you're struggling, struggling, struggling. And there's, you find that there's absolutely no kind of insight that you have, right? And, but you kind of let it marinate in your mind and you sleep over it. And then you do it over a period of time. And suddenly one day there's a breakthrough and you say, okay, you know, this is how you're going to solve it. And you see a completely new angle that you missed earlier. So for me, I've seen that so many times now that, you know, it's, it's entirely possible that a period of struggle is followed by a sudden breakthrough uh, that you should never lose hope. And you should, you know, you should, if, if you're passionate about something, you should be irrationally optimistic around it. Um, and, uh, and, you, and you will kind of, you know, get to what you're aiming for. So that is my hope with QMath as well. But, uh, but that, that trust comes from that mindset, partly the entrepreneurial mindset, partly for me, the, the whole math experience. Well, Manan, if uh, it means that you're building the plane as you go along, we're, we're joining for the ride, looks like. So uh, <laughs> thank yeah. you so much for joining us. And it's really been a, a treat. I hope you'll come back and join us again. Sure, Abhi. Uh, love to chat with you today. And we'll definitely look forward to doing it again. Thanks so much, Manan. And you can learn more at QMath.com. For those who know, and if you know who you are, you know that you know that three is the magic number. Till next time, I'm Abhay Darnika. Hi, this is Hina from Being Bramp, and you can check out RuckusAvenueRadio.com for more information about the latest station programming and more.